talking about a blueprint for joy. A blueprint for joy. You know, it kind of feels like maybe it's not the best time to talk about joy with what is happening in our world. How can anybody be happy? How can anybody celebrate anything with, with the news that, that we seem to be faced with in a 24-hour cycle? And I want to encourage you that as we look to allow the gospel to redefine us, we need a gospel definition for joy, a biblical definition for joy. I want you to know that joy is supernatural. I'm going to say some stuff today that may sound wrong to some of you. I feel like this series y'all, is going to disrupt some things, very necessarily, but disrupt some things in how we think and how we see. But it's important to understand and know that joy is not natural. It's not natural. It's supernatural. Right? It, that means it's, it's beyond the natural realm. As Paul writes in Galatians chapter, chapter 5, it is a product or a fruit of the spirit. It's not a product of the natural. <laughs> it's not a fruit of the natural. It's not, it's not fruit of the loom. Amen. Pause. It's not, amen. It's a fruit of the spirit. So unless you come through the spirit, unless it's born of the spirit, then we can't experience this fruit of this reality, this super on the natural reality of joy. And the fruit of the spirit there is not the, it's not fruit of the spirit with the with the lowercase s. It's a it's an uppercase s, right? It's a it's it's a personal noun, the fruit of the spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Unless we go through him, we can't experience this. The characteristic belongs to him. The reality comes by way of him, relationship with him. Yo, he's the gateway. He plants the seed and nourishes the seed and causes it to bear, causes it to bear fruit in our lives. Galatians 5, 22, 23. Check it out. There are nine fruit of the Spirit there. We're going to focus on one today. Joy. Come on, joy. I'm praying that through this message and through 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 message through uh, conversations that come after this, that by by God's Spirit, our definition, our lens and perspective of joy will begin to shift, and that God can use us according to His plan everywhere we go. Amen. So the big idea, the big idea, you might want to write this down if you're taking notes. The big idea today is that gospel joy is rooted in who God is. What he has done and what he will finish. Mm -hmm. Say it again. Gospel joy is rooted in who God is, what he has done, and what he will finish, what he will complete. He's not the one to start something and not finish it. They say, I gotta pick the mic up. Amen. I need you to hear this, so I'm gonna use the mic. It's not, he's not one to start something and not complete what he has started. So this gospel joy is, is, is based upon something else. It's not based on things that I currently can feel, touch, and see. It is rooted, its foundation is on something else. The attitude of joy, a way of thinking about joy, is not based on circumstances. But there's a deep and an inviting confidence 
and trust that regardless of circumstances, regardless of things that I may be facing on a, reg- on a regular basis, I trust who God is and I receive his joy. Amen. So this, this opening section here, last week we, we, we dealt with a little bit more of the history of the, the Philippians and, and this church that, that was started by the Apostle Paul. We talked about some of the individuals that, that God brought into the faith through the ministry of Paul and Silas and, and the missionary team uh, that, that ministered to them. And an incredible story, if you haven't seen that or watched that yet, go back and watch last week's service here on YouTube. Um, but today, Paul, Paul gets in, we're going to get into the letter that he writes to them as he is sitting under house arrest. He has been arrested and he doesn't know his future. He's waiting to get word on if he will be executed or not. However, the letter that we have before us today in the text is, is not one that sounds like somebody who, who may or not, may or may not be on death row at, at any moment. This letter oozes with love and affection. It, it oozes with, with joy. Now, like, there's something that is so beautiful about this. There's beauty in joy. Because this passage here explodes with it. And, and, I, and, and we're going to read it in a minute here. But I just want us to sit with the fact that this for us is necessary, y'all. We don't just ascribe to a faith that gives us a bunch of information, right? Jesus is the word, but he's the word made flesh. We have a God who, 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 who feels what we feel as well. Even in his sovereignty, he can be touched with our infirmity. So there's this beautiful sense of, of affection that Paul has, has, has now received from the Lord Jesus. And we see it oozing out of his, his ministry and his communication and his letters with the churches that God has sent him to. Remember, this is the same Paul who previously known as Saul was going around and murdering Christians because he was a a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? And he believed that anyone who who placed faith in Jesus was, was following a false god. And he was extremely religious, extremely faithful to that religion, and went around murdering Christians until he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he was knocked off his high horse, he was confronted, and he was blinded. And, and he spent some time being blinded, not being able to see, until one day his eyes were opened up as God began to send people to him. And when his eyes opened, he began to see everything differently. See, there are times when the Lord would, 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 in his sovereignty, allow circumstances to cause us not to be able to see properly. But if we respond to him, what I believe what God wants to do with us, family, as his representatives in the earth, is that we allow the scriptures and the spirit of God to, to fulfill the work of sanctification and transformation on the inside of us so that we can see how he has called us to see. And then we can be a mouthpiece and a conduit of his joy. Amen. The, the object of our affection, Jesus, is not just a force or an idea. No, it is through him who, who came, lived among us, who died among us. He walked like us. 
He laid his life down for us and there's no greater love than the kind of love that he displayed for us laying down his life. So he's not some inanimate object or just theory to be studied. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. The one who is to be worshipped, adored, and magnified. Amen. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. Paul writes, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glorying praise of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. Will you illuminate our eyes? Will you allow our hearts to be open to receive, Father, what you have for us? I thank you for your people, Father, watching near and far, watching now, some watching later. God, may we be used by you to advance your kingdom in the earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm, there are a few things I want to hit in this passage today. And just to kind of give you a little preview, because I, I really do not want to be long before you today. Um, we're actually trying something uh, new today. Uh, kind of like a pilot thing where we have several uh, leaders in our church who have opened up their homes and allowed uh, different uh, uh, partners, different stakeholders at Detroit Church, different friends and family to come and to watch the message and the service together. And and why, right now we, we don't have a physical location to meet in. Uh, we've talked a little bit about what's going on in the Hope Center. And our prayer is still that the, the boilers will be replaced soon. Uh, but we really don't know when that's going to happen. And let me tell you, we still have a call. Amen. We still have an opportunity uh, to, to be disciples, to make disciples, and to come together in fellowship and partner together in the gospel. So, so that work, building or not, must continue, and it will continue. Amen. So we're, you know, we're praying, and the leaders are being you know, just prayerful and, and, and creative and thoughtful about how we can work to, to continue to serve you and to continue to create community. So, so we have some, some meeting in some homes, some meeting in different homes around the city uh, this morning, and I want to you know, create a a little room, a space uh, after the message for them to have some dialogue around the message. So I'm, I'm really going to try not to go too long today, but there are three things that I really want to bring out of this text, and then we'll move on. The first thing is joy builders. Joy builders. As Paul goes into uh, these next few verses here, we, we begin to see his, his mentality or his perspective on what God is doing in this new church, this Philippian church. It's about 10 years old or so at this time. 
So we begin to see like Paul's perspective. So we're going to call, call it joy builders. There are five joy builders, things that work to build our joy, to nourish our joy. Then we're going to talk about joy blockers, right? Ten quick things I want to hit on, but things that hinder our joy, things that come against our joy to steal our joy. And then the last few verses, I just want to hit on Paul's prayer. Paul prays, prays for them. Man, some of the most most uh, enriching language in the, in the New Testament outside of the words of Jesus are the prayers that we see offered through men of God like Paul and we see the affection so we're going to spend verse 9, 10, and 11 uh, we just read it uh, but kind of identifying some aspects of that prayer now I want to ask you first of all if you look through verse 3 through verse 8 we see a word that is used like kind of like quite repetitiously and I want to encourage you if you are looking to grow in your study of the scriptures like it's important to be able to like take notes highlight underline you know if you if you're doing it on the phone you don't have a physical bible then make sure you have like a something else that you can write on to take notes because there are things that that if we're paying attention will stick out to us and as we look at this text there is one word that we see Paul mention several times and that's the word all he uses it in, in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And he uses it in the next verse, and, and he uses it, uses it a, fr- a few times. Now, my question for you is, what is the significance of that? Like, who was Paul talking to? Who was he talking about when he says that? Now, if we go back to verse 1, he starts off the letter, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints to all the saints now it's important to kind of break down what this word means to us today I think that religion has in a sense hijacked this word for us I think that that you may have grown up in a a certain religious structure that looked at being a saint or sainthood as something that was only reserved for a select few or maybe you, you grew up hearing that word, looked at as, you know, uh, something that, that meant that I wasn't perfect. Matter of fact, if I got up here and said, family, um, listen, I, I love Jesus, but, but, but I'm no saint. <laughs> what is the first thing that would come to your mind? Like, I'm sure some, some of y'all would think, oh, Lord, Pastor Sonny, what, what, what you done did now? <laughs> Let me brace myself. What's, what is he about to say? <laughs> Maybe there's some that would that would that would love that and say, oh, so you know what? I love it. You know, Pastor Sonny's being transparent and vulnerable. I love the transparency. See, we need we need more of that in the pulpit. And amen. I, I would amen that, right? But when Paul uses the word saint, he's not referring to some unattainable position in in Christ. Matter of fact, if we if we just scroll back a couple of books, he calls the church of Corinth. The same word, saints. Now, if you know anything about the church of Corinth, they were saints gone wild, right? But they were still saints. And, and this is important for us to know. Like he, Paul wants them to know this first, right? That you are saints. You're saints because, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. So if you have faith in Christ, You are a saint. The word saint, one of the meanings is, it means holy. Now, let me me just bring a little definition to what this word means for us. Holy 
on God's terms means that he is set apart. There's nothing like him, right? But what he does is he doesn't just hoard the holiness to himself. He shares it with us and he calls us holy. He calls us his holy people. So what it means is he also wants us to be set apart. He also shares that sense of set apartness with us. Which means that we don't just subscribe to everything that is happening around us because it makes good logical sense. Or maybe even because it just makes good, you know, good financial sense. Or just, or just because it makes good moral sense, right? There's this sense of holiness and, and set-apartness, which for us means we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to someone else. So we must take our cues from someone else. We must learn the ropes of how we are to live and how we are to think and how we should see things. We must take our P's and Q's from someone else and what God has done. He's given us his word as the primary source for those things. He's filled us with his spirit and the spirit of God helps us to see the word and and helps us to to be able to discern and and he bears fruit in our lives. So, So this idea of us being holy means that we are set apart. Now before anyone gets it twisted, doesn't mean that we've got it all together. Amen. That's a good time to say Amen. Get this, holy people are unholy people who nevertheless have been wholly loved, singled out, claimed, and reassigned by God for his control, for his use, and for himself, who all by himself is holy. Amen. I'm going to say it one more time. Holy people are unholy people who nevertheless have been wholly loved, singled out, claimed, and reassigned by God for his control and for his use for himself who all by himself is holy. So Paul has this sense of set apartness now that we've come into the faith. This is what he has in mind when he says all of you, I'm talking to you all. Right? These aren't just those who maybe you happen to be watching today and you haven't stumbled into a physical church in no matter how long. Maybe it's not even Detroit church. Maybe Detroit church is not even your home. But somehow you end up here today. If you are a person who's placed faith in Jesus, all includes you. Amen. So Paul gives us these five, what I'm going to call five elements or aspects of, of joy building. Holy Spirit produced joy builders. The first one we see in verse 3. The first one is gratitude. And again, I'm going to try to get this with brevity. I can't be exhaustive with a lot of these points. There's so much more that could be said. I'm going to leave some meat on the bones and leave some time as well. So the first one is gratitude. Paul says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Now what's interesting is what Paul has in mind here is the, the route that God took him to get to them. When Paul remembers them, he remembers the, the, the communication that, that he had with them. He remembers the, the gospel seeds that were planted. And as he began to share with them, as he began, as we learned last week, to, to approach the, the riverbanks where the women were. Because there was no synagogue inside the city. And he heard these praying women. And he began to come along with them. Paul says, I thank my God when I remember you. He's thankful. There's, there's gratitude from, from what he remembers. Now remember this. God actually blocked Paul and his companions. 
He blocked them from going the way that they wanted to go. They wanted to go through Asia or to Asia and Bithynia. God gave them a divine no. But what he did do, he appeared to them through a vision uh, with a, a, a man motioning them over to Macedonia. So he got two divine no's before he got a divine yes and before God opens up the right door. Hear this. Those both were occasions to thank God. I, I, I want to encourage you to learn to thank God, have gratitude for the no's. Have gratitude for the closed doors. If you truly believe God is sovereign, even in your situation, even through your mistakes and your failures, have gratitude through the missed opportunities. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Not just the good things in all my remembrance of you. Verse 4, he says, also, always in every prayer of mine, for you are making my prayer with joy. That leads us to the second, the second joy builder. Prayer and intercession. Prayer and intercession. Family, this is an indispensable element of joy for the follower of Jesus. Interceding before God, not just taking your stuff, your problems to him, but praying on behalf of others. I like the idea of intercession, intercepting, interceding, being in the middle, one hand on the problem, another hand on the solution. And right, I know sometimes it feels like we don't have enough hands to touch all the problems because there are all kinds of problems around us, right? But God does. I don't know the future, but I know the one who holds it. Amen. So we are to be in between here on earth while God has us here. You know that it costs God something for you not to be here? It costs him something. In, in, in the book of Psalms, when David writes, precious, precious are, are, are the going or the transition of the saints. That word there, precious, means costly. Like God has need of us here while we're here. So as, as intercessors, there's an exchange as we touch heaven and we intercept the, the mess, the fallenness, the, the disparity and the depravity in our world. There's an exchange of joy. Paul says, I make my prayer with joy. Oh, family, this is more than just a, a, a Wednesday morning Zoom prayer. See, this should be the life of the believer, the follower of Jesus. Some of us are lacking in joy because we don't have a life of prayer and intercession. Prayer and intercession, faithful intercession. It's not an obligation. It's not a duty. It's a joy. Amen. God has called us. Paul gets into this in the next chapter. But he's called us not to just be preoccupied with our own stuff. Our own interests, right? But the interests of others. Intercession is a way of serving others. Amen. I'm going to move along. The third joy builder is participation. And Paul says in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So this third element there is participation. He uses the Greek word koinonia, koinonia. Some translators use that word for, for fellowship or, or communion, but it's the idea that there's something that is common that is shared among us. Paul uses it in several instances. It's used several, several times throughout the New Testament. Sometimes it has to do with possessions. Sometimes it has to do with money. Right? Sometimes it has to do with resources. Sometimes it has to do with, with being on the same mission. But there's this, this fellowship of koinonia. 
I was talking with some of the men yesterday doing our men's call. But there's this, this desire, this growing need and desire. I have for a squad. Like I need a, I want a squad. I was made to, to walk with, with others. You were made to not live on an island and not figure this thing out by yourself. But God made you for a squad. He dressed you up, gave you the uni, right? He, he placed his spit on the inside of you and he put you on a team. He put you on a team. So we belong to one another. And this idea of fellowship also includes the cooperation of declaring the good news, preaching the gospel of salvation. Let me tell you, you don't need a camera and a microphone and a stand and an iPad to preach. You don't need a YouTube channel to preach the gospel. We're called to steward this gospel, declare this gospel in every aspect of our lives. So this has to do with a common vision and us being connected to a common mission by the Spirit of God. Now, there are, there are those who have believed the lie of the enemy and think that I don't need people. I don't need a squad. I don't need a community. Matter of fact, people get on my nerves. Church people get on my nerves. I'm tired of this church. I'm sure some of us have felt that. You ever thought that at Detroit Church? Don't answer that. <laughs> the squad is laughing real a little too loud in the background. Amen. <laughs> Listen, a Christian who willingly forsakes fellowship with other Christians and other believers will inevitably be without genuine spirit-produced joy. See, this is the way God has designed it. This is the way God has set this thing up. He's placed you on a team. He's placed you in a body. Number four, the fourth joy builder is expectation. Paul says in verse six, and I'm sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There is so much in this verse that I wish that I can bring out, but I want to just encourage you with this. What are your expectations when you gather with the saints? What are your expectations? I'm not talking about a good live stream with the audio working correctly. Amen. We, we want it to work correctly. We want to continue to get better in that, right? But I'm not, just, I'm not talking about the production value stuff. What expectations are in your heart when you gather with God's people? Whether it's virtual, whether it's in the room, whether it's just a couple of y'all maybe meeting up at a, at, a, at a coffee shop. What expectation is in your heart when the church comes together? Now, I, I want to encourage you that the actual art of preaching is an act of worship. So preaching is different than just believers coming together in an informal setting. The, the, the preaching, the, the gift and the art of preaching is actually also an act of worship, which should require us to listen actively and listen attentively. Now, we all may respond differently, Right? But we all should respond actively and, and intentionally and authentically. What I mean by that is, is like, do you just c come in? Now, I, let me just say this. This book that Paul is writing, he's writing to a growing church. By growing, I mean in maturity. And there are some things he's affirming and some things he's calling them higher to continue growing, continue going. And I want to do the same today. I'm not necessarily talking to those who have just, you know, found us by searching randomly on YouTube. But I mean those who have been committed to this vision, those who have been walking with the Lord. How are you growing and how are you approaching the word of God with diligence? 
Like come prepared to receive, come prepared to take notes, which will help you remember, right? Then will help you live it out or carry it out. Some of us are more in, on, on the, in, in the sense where we respond actively in worship, but, but it's more of an inward response. And, and that's okay. Maybe you're saying amen in your mind, right? But maybe you're taking notes. And maybe this, this the, as the word of God is coming alive to you, like it is impacting you and it's moving you not to shout, but maybe it's moving you to tears. See, that's a, that's a genuine, authentic response. There are others of you who, who it's, it's also authentic for you, to, for you to shout, for you to say yes, amen, or throw up some emojis on the chat, amen. Not gathering, I miss, let me tell you, I miss Mama Angie and I miss Martin. Come on. I miss it. <laughs> I hope that Martin is letting out a come on wherever you're at this morning, bro. Amen. <laughs> but this is, this is part of what we bring to the house of God, be it virtual or physical, with our expectation. The next one. Number five. The fifth joy builder is affection. I love the visceral language that Paul uses here to explain his affection. Like Paul was passionate before he met Jesus, right? We can see that. He was very passionate. That passion didn't change now that he was on a new team. <laughs> no, no. Like, like, like that's a good thing. We want it to, to be spirit controlled, right? So it's not a product of just, it's not hype. It's not a product of the flesh. It's not, it's not done with, with motives to get attention to ourselves, right? But there is something, I think, that is beautiful in, in both the outward expression, but also the inward work. And we see Paul speaking of that here when he uses the language that he uses. Verse 7, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. When he uses the word there, to feel, it is a form of the Greek word for neo, for neo. And this word has the basic meaning of having a particular mental disposition. Having a particular attitude or mentality. And this is what Paul has received from the Lord Jesus. His way of thinking, his mentality, his mentors have changed. And he wants them to understand, like, I've received this gospel. And this gospel that I've received, it's changed everything in me. And I'm giving you this same gospel. And it's affected how I look at you, how I see you. When I look at you, I feel all kinds of things on the inside. What are you saying, Sonny? Like Paul uses words that are that are emotional. And 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 and, and he, he he when he talks of the affection of Christ Jesus, for God is my witness, and now I yearn for you all. This word that he's this word that he's using has to do with the longing, and in the Greek, it's actually a word that means the intestines or the, the, the bowels. <laughs> so there's this inner longing that he can viscerally feel. Wow. Have you ever felt that for somebody? Like not your spouse? Not your, you know, your boo? (laughs) You ever felt this longing to be with the people of God, to pray for the people of God? 
Paul, we see this often throughout Paul's ministry. We also see it in, in, in the book of Acts chapter 20 when he calls the, the, the Ephesian elders to him as he's on the island of Miletus and he knows that he's not going to see them again. He knows that he spent a lot of time with them and they weep together and Paul pours out his heart. We see this man being very affectionate and passionate, not just in his love for God, but in his love for others. And this produces joy. Now, now let me just say this. I'm going to move on to the joy blockers. I believe that there are some who have grown up to think that this expression, any kind of passionate expression, is not authentic and takes attention away from God. And, and, I, and I think that when you do that, you also make yourself susceptible to not experiencing supernatural joy. I'm going to keep on moving. Amen. Joy blockers. I got 10 to go through it. I'm going to try to move through this, y'all. The first one is a lack of trust. When we don't have our eyes and our confidence set on who God is and that he is a God who is in control, even in the midst of things that don't look controlled, that he is sovereign, we won't understand what is happening around us. We won't understand why things are happening and we will not trust him. So the first joy blocker is a lack of trust. Do you really believe that God is going to cause all things to work together for the good of those who are the called according to his purpose? Do you really believe that? See, when Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who started it will finish what he started, he's placing trust. That's joy based on trust, based on who God is what he has done and what he will complete or what he will finish. This produces joy in our hearts. The Sermon of the Mount on the Mount. Jesus doesn't just encourage, he commands us, don't be anxious for anything. See, I believe to worry is to sin because worry for the believer now, for the, for the Christ follower, worry takes the focus and the attention off of Christ and puts it on our problem, puts it on our oppressor, puts it on our circumstance, and ultimately puts it on ourselves. And maybe the most beloved and cherished promise Jesus ever said to us, he says, do not let your heart be trouble, troubled. John 14. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to pre and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, myself. That where I am, you may also be. He doesn't just start the work, but he finishes the work. Do you trust him? Come on, do you trust him? David said in Psalm 55, he will never allow the righteous to be forsaken or to be forgotten. God has not forgotten about you. He's not forgotten about us, family. Amen. The second joy, I, I, can, I can continue preaching that I got to move on. The second joy blocker is prayerlessness. And I won't spend a lot of time on this one because we hit it a little early in the joy builders. But believers who fail to pray, you, you will inevitably lose sight on God's sovereignty. You will lose sight of the fact that God is sovereign and he's in control and that he loves us and that he cares for us. And what happens when we do that, we end up by default seeking confidence in something else. We end up looking for something that we can put our hands on, so to speak, and something that we can believe in. 
God has called us to pray together. I'm going to move on. Number three, joy blockers. No time in God's presence. This is a gift from God. God gave us his presence. We see it back in the Garden of Eden when God built everything around them. Made, gave them everything at their disposal. He said, do not partake of this one tree. But the greatest gift in all of that, that whole environment was his presence. It was his presence, y'all. And out of this environment, this is how God has made you and created you to live in. Like there shouldn't be no coming into his presence, going out of his presence. No, this should be our existence. David also writes in Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Come on, there's fullness of joy in the presence of God. You need to learn how to find the presence of God. You need to learn how to tap into the presence of God. And when I say fine, I don't mean it's somewhere hiding. I don't mean it's not accessible to you. What I mean is you may have to be intentional about the things you're looking at and your awareness, quieting your mind, setting time aside where you can focus on what God has done, who God is. See, just a study on who God is will change you from the inside out. I'm telling you. And then when you realize that his love for you is never ending, his love for you is everlasting. Like it's, this is going to sound wrong to our modern ears, but you can't be depressed and stay in the presence of God. Now, if, if joy to you is natural, then yes, you can. But we're not talking about happiness. Happiness, natural. Joy, supernatural joy fruit of the spirit a product of the spirit of god right this comes from him this doesn't come from you in the natural like like listen i'm all for modern advancement in medicine and therapy like it's from god we need it we thank god for it amen amen but we also must recognize we have a a primary way to look at 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 our situation a primary way and we allow the word of God to help define all these other tools around us so we encourage therapy amen I, I, I encourage it I support it I've participated in it myself and I would also encourage a, a therapist who was born again full of the spirit who knows these things as well and who can walk with you on your journey amen amen, amen. number four ingratitude ingratitude remember Family, joy is a gift from God. David declared, you put gladness in my heart. He says, it's more than, than grain, more than new wine. He said, it's more than food, more than alcohol, it's more than a good time. You've given this to me, you've put it in my heart. God wants you to experience this. But when you're, when you're unthankful, then we can't put ourselves in a position to receive that. The fifth joy blocker is forgetfulness. Like this isn't just a mark of innocence. This isn't just an innocent mistake. No, it's faithlessness is sinful. And it's one of the trappings of the enemy. This is a big deal. Back to David, he reminded himself and all believers when he says in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not any of his benefits. Amen. Don't forget. Be intentional about remembering. This also robs you of joy. Number six, living by the flesh. My, my. I could spend some time on this one, y'all. 
I can spend some time on this one. This is major for believers today. Remember that you are a spirit. You are a spirit. You possess a soul that is housed in a body. But you are a spirit. If all you are doing is feeding the carnal man, living by the flesh, not all of it's sin, right? But if it's a sustained lifestyle, that's sinful for the believer. What I mean by that is sleeping and eating isn't spiritual necessarily, right? But we have to eat. But if all you do is eat, 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 and you're pouring into the natural man, if all you do is work out at the gym, right, trying to get buff, and you look good on the outside, but you're not working out the spirit, man. You are robbed of, of the essence of this life that God has called you to live, and thus robbed of joy. Number seven, I could say so much more about that, but I got to keep going. Number seven, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. I want to take this moment just to, to understand the hurt that so many have experienced at the hand of those who on the outside look like God's people, outside look like God's representatives. Those who have been damaged in the name of the church. In the name of those who are supposed to be the ones who are loving them, walking with them. I want to acknowledge that. But I want you to understand something. That forgiveness is a gift from God. That it's a gift that keeps on giving. And as we, see, we receive it from God, as we accept it and God allows us by his grace to also give that gift. It's like a detox or a cleansing for us. The book of James talk, talks about like a root of bitterness that goes deep down and when it springs up, because it will eventually spring up, it springs up and it defiles many. <sighs> See, there's those who are struggling with, with forgiveness because they don't trust and they are missing out on the joy that God has made available to them. See, for the Christian, joy comes not from the outside, but from the inside. For the non-Christian, joy is impossible. But the pseudo-joy, happiness, comes from the outside. It comes from things. But not from us. Not for us. Number eight. Number eight. Self-centeredness. The eighth joy blocker. And this list is not exhaustive, by the way. Although it may seem exhaustive, it's not exhaustive. There are a whole lot more I could, I could go into here. Um, but I want to give you ten. Self-centeredness. Man. Perhaps narcissism may feel like it's at an all-time high for us. But please hear this. It's always been here. <laughs> it's always been around. We're just more aware of it now because we, more, we have more channels to broadcast it, more opportunities for it to show up around us. But this is the very sin that got Lucifer evicted from heaven. In Isaiah chapter 14, when he uses the word I five different times, and, 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 and the prophet writes, you said in your heart that I will ascend to the heavens above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the, on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. He was so wrapped into himself, self-centeredness, will rob you of joy, will rob you of God's presence. Lucifer was kicked out. Now, let me just acknowledge there are those who do not align this passage, this prophetic passage that God has given Isaiah with Lucifer. That's a whole other subject. But it's my conviction, let me just say, it's my personal conviction that this is who he's talking about. And Jesus also declares in the Gospel of Luke that I saw Satan fall like lightning. Yeah. Uh, 
See, there is this, this, this notion today, even this, let's call it an idol, let's call it a God, of self-servantness where you are here to serve your own passion, to, to serve your own pursuits. And it's looked at as a good thing to be ambitious about whatever it is you want to do in your life. And there's self-help books, and there's motivational speakers, and there's, there's TED Talks and advice columnists and all these great things that you can do. And when it doesn't come through, when they're looking for something that is eternal, they're looking for real joy, what they, what they end up having is, is happiness. If that... But if they have happiness, it may last for a while because it's temporary. But when it runs out, when it stops doing what it's supposed to do, when it stops working, what they do is they dump one source for another. And they find themselves looking for the right church or the right relationship or the right job or the right city to give them that feeling that they really, really need. And they avoid going through trials, going through circumstances, going through the difficulty that is actually there to deepen our faith and deepen our joy. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. The ninth one, spiritual attack. Spiritual attack. Joy blocker. Spiritual attack. One of the greatest moments, I won't go into detail here, but one of the greatest failures of my life, I will say, came on the back of a great victory. And, and it wasn't just there was this great, and I mean spiritual victory, it wasn't just there was this great spiritual victory, now the devil's mad, it was that I let my guard down. I emotionally let it down and then spiritually let it down and allow the enemy to, uh, to come in and to attack and attack me in my mind and it began to rob me of joy. You know, one of the baddest men in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Elijah, had, had just conquered all the pagan prophets. When I say conquered, I mean he killed them, all the pagan prophets of Baal and, and then he hears, he gets a message from Queen Elizabeth. Queen, um, Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> hey, I love me some Queen Elizabeth, y'all. Seriously. Queen Jezebel, he, he gets this message from her and she wants to kill him. He just had this spiritual high. He gets this message and he starts to run for his life. He feels threatened and he finds himself sitting under the juniper tree and he prays. And his prayer is not a righteous one. His prayer is a, pretty much a helpless one. And he says, God, just take my life. Like, like the way it reads, it almost sounds like he's contemplating suicide. Like, I don't want to make light of this. This is a, this is a bad man in Elijah. But he's, he's experienced a spiritual high, and now he's susceptible to the attack of the wicked one. Family, be on guard. Stay alert. Know that the enemy hates you, and he's coming after you on the regular. Yeah. As Paul tells us and reminds us, don't give the enemy no place. Yeah. Give him no place. The last one, the 10th joy blocker, is false salvation. It's a false salvation. Maybe this is not your issue. But there are many who believe that they're born again because they got baptized when they were five. And they, they believe in Jesus mentally. They say, yeah, I, I believe he's God. But they haven't received him in their heart. And there's been no heart transformation. They may even attend church 
every now and then. They may even be a cultural Christian. They may even do things in his name. But please believe there are going to be some who will say, Lord, I did this for you. I did that for you. I got baptized. I rocked my Jesus peace. What about me? He says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. He didn't say you didn't know me. He says, I didn't know you. You see, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 tells us to test ourselves, to see if we are in the faith, to examine ourselves, examine our hearts. When we come into the faith, we don't do things to earn God's approval, right? We don't have right conduct to say, oh, now we're saved, but we are empowered to live a certain way, to live us after a certain conduct as we come into the faith because we represent him. So Paul closes out this passage that we're reading today with the prayer as I close down this message. And he says in verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. That you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glorying praise of God. What is this prayer about? This prayer speaks to Paul's desire for them to grow and mature in the faith and the fellowship of the gospel. He says first that their love may abound more and more. This is just his basic petition for them to grow in love. And notice as he says here, with knowledge. This means that this, this, this love isn't just like loosey-goosey, sloppy agape love. It's not just some aimless sense of tolerance either, right? This love is very specific. This love, Paul says, is, is sacrificial love. Biblical love, gospel love is sacrificial love. It's love that involves action. And it's love that takes its P's and Q's from how God has loved us. God doesn't just have love. God is love. And we receive his love. And only by receiving his love, we can properly give out the kind of love that he desires for us to give out. Y'all, we don't even know how to love properly without the Holy Spirit. See, love is another fruit of the Spirit. I'm not talking about a natural sense of love. I'm not talking about emotional affection. Biblical love. Gospel love. Uh, he, he furthers his prayer when he says that ye may approve what is excellent. This carries this idea of something that is, that, is, that is practical in a sense. He says put it to test. Put it to test. Examine it. Like if you do it the right way, my prayer is that you will you will grow in love and that you will prove approve or examine what is right or what is excellent. This is something that I believe is maybe a missing component in the church. And maybe because we've been abused and are uber sensitive to religion, right? But there's there's a sense of of of, of self examination and and testing that we all should go through, especially those who call themselves leaders. Especially those who get in the pulpit and preach this gospel. Amen. I'm going to move right along there. And he ends it, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This word there, pure, means sincere. Without hidden motives, without a hidden agenda. And blameless means without offense or offending anyone. The first one, the purity, has something more to do with character, something on the inside. The blameless has to do with something on the outside, has to do with reputation. His prayer for us is that we would grow in both. He uses the word until the day of Christ. 
Are you living for the day of Christ? Are you living in view for what's ahead? For what God has promised to finish and what God has promised to complete. See, when we use the phrase, all things new, it's not just some catchy vision. No, it is trust. It's confidence that God will complete what he has started. Don't just go through your day satisfying your own carnal needs or knocking off your things to do list without living in view of the day of Christ. The day of Christ comes with the, for the expectation of believers to be received by him. Now, for, for some, that day is not a day to look forward to. For those who have been living to satisfy carnal de- desires, that day is going to be terrifying. That day is going to be difficult. But for those who have been brought into the faith, who, those who, whose joy has been made complete in him, we will experience the fullness of that on that day. Oh, and he, last thing he says, he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Family, this fruit of righteousness, I, I believe Paul, as we look at the rest of this letter, what he's specifically calling out is joy as a fruit of the spirit it produces something in us so again gospel joy is rooted in who god is what he has done and what he will finish perhaps some of us are struggling with joy because we've gotten our sources confused perhaps we're looking to fulfill something that is supernatural by natural means See, I, I, I think joy is the mood of heaven. <laughs> Do you think that heaven lacks expectation and anticipation of what God will ultimately do and make right? No. Matter of fact, when Jesus talks about Jesus said that, that heaven goes crazy in celebrating when one comes into the faith. There's a rejoicing that, that takes place in the heavens just with one as that inches us closer to the ultimate fulfillment of what God was always after. <sighs> I want you to know that the kingdom of God is not in material possessions. It's not in, in meat or drink, as Paul says in the book of Romans. But it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I leave you with Jude 24 when he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that in the midst of darkness and despair, Father, that you've given us something that the world didn't give us and the world cannot take it away. You've given us supernatural joy. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you. May we be those that receive your joy, walk in your joy, and give out that joy wherever you may send us. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.